Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Desi, let's start out by thanking our lovely Patreon contributors. They donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This week we had Samantha, Eve, Sarah, Denise, Kimberly, Matthew, Jennifer, Gretchen, Carolyn, Julie, Acacia, Patty, Merlin, Merlin the Fish. Whoa. That's like when Merlin... In the Sword of the Stone, Sword in the Stone Disney movie turns into a fish. <laughs> oh. I bet that's what this is a reference oh, to. Oh, okay, maybe. Very underrated Disney movie, yeah, by I the like way. That one. Leslie, Liz, Colleen, Jenna Lee, Jennifer, Courtney, Megan, Shannon, Daniel, Nicole, Brenna, Danielle, Lindsay, Laura, Tanya, Kayla, Emily, and Allie. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing. I hope you have been enjoying the new content we have been putting up on Patreon. Yeah. There'll be a new Patreon episode going up right after we finish recording this one. Yeah. After show. Yeah. The after show. <laughs> we literally do it after the show. We, it is not a lie. Yeah. <laughs> we hit re- we hit record again after we do this show. That's right. Who knows what's going to happen tonight? We're wild. <laughs> Okay, Desi, this is part three of the Cotton Club movie Murder. Okay. I texted Desi yesterday and I said, there's going to be a part four. Dang. This is our longest parts. <laughs> this is going to be our longest series yeah. we have ever done. Unexpectedly. Unexpectedly, because we have done maybe two or three three part series. I think we've done three. Mommy Dearest. And the Evelyn Nesbitt. Evelyn Nesbitt. But you did a part three one time, didn't you? Did I? I think I did only, I've only done two. Well, this is four parts. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. She went for it. I I really went for it this time. But as I told Desi, look, there's a lot of juicy information in this story. It is a wild story and there's a lot of moving parts. Okay. And a lot of characters. We don't want to skim. Where we left off... Oh, let me just tell you my sources again. Uh, once again, I've been reading the book Bad Company, Drugs, Hollywood, and the Cotton Club Murder by Steve Wick. There's also a great article from uh, a 1991 edition of Buzz Magazine by Anne Louise Bardak. She's a true crime journalist. I've, I've, used I've heard her, that name before. I've read her before uh, for other episodes. Yeah. It like, sounds familiar. She has written for Vanity Fair. Okay. Well, they have a ton of great crime writing. Oh, my God. Some of the best. Where we left off last week, Lainey Jacobs's drug runner, the guy named Tally Rogers. Oh, right. He, By the way, I was right about the pirate flag. I know. <laughs> last week on the show, that's also where we left off. Last week on the show, Desi said, Tally Rogers... That sounds like Jolly Rogers. Isn't that a flag? And I said, no, you stupid fucking idiot. The fuck is wrong with you? And then, 
as usually happens when one of us calls the other one an idiot, they're like, no, no, they were right. Look, I love hearing Desi is right. <laughs> it's always a great feeling. It's like, I was right. Because I, I, a lot of times... I don't even know if I'm right. It's not oh. like I'm like, yes, it is, Rachel. Like, I'm like, well, maybe I am a dumb bitch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm always surprised. It's a distinct possibility that I am wrong. Right, I mean, right. Um, uh, anyway, yeah, Tally I, Rogers. Tally Rogers is the guy who was kind of recently taken on by Lainey Jacobs to run her drugs from right. L.A. to Miami. And he robbed her. He robbed her. Right. He robbed her of... God knows how many kilos of cocaine and $270,000 in cash. In total, Tally Rogers stole about a million dollars. Whoa. That's a lot. Worth of stuff. So that's a lot of cocaine. (laughs) Yeah, he stole a lot of cocaine. And this was a big problem for Lainey because she had to pay back her distributors Right. In Florida, like they gave her the cocaine. On spec. <laughs> yeah, on spec. <laughs> Basically. Basically, like the, she had to come back with the money that she made from it. Right. Uh, so, so she's out more than just the cost probably. Well, like, I yeah. think she would get the money that, like the profit. Right. But she has to pay for the cocaine. But I mean, she's out of the cost of the cocaine and what she would have earned too. Oh, exactly. Yeah, like she's out like it's even worth more than what she's lost, right? Exactly, exactly. So uh, she's assembled a team of goons as well as a private investigator to find him. They haven't had any luck, though. Now, Roy Radin and Robert Evans are moving forward with their idea for a Cotton Club movie as well as discussing making two other films together. Roy is hoping that they will create their own production company (laughs) and he will become the most important producer in Hollywood. Absolutely. That's his dream. He wants to take over Paramount. At, like he wants to, he thinks he can be even bigger than Robert Evans yeah. at this point. Uh, to them, Lainey is just an investor and nothing else. Right. They're just using her for her money at this point. And her cocaine. Well, yes. Yeah. And her excellent coke. Not only was Lainey being excluded from making any decisions regarding the films, Roy Radin's personal secretary and friend, Jonathan Lawson, believed that Roy was being shafted by Robert Evans. Ooh. That he believed that this wouldn't be an equal partnership and that Evans was really just after Roy's money. I mean, yeah. He's like, this guy doesn't respect you. Like, Why would he? Yeah, he's... (laughs) I mean, truly, every, I mean, everyone is such a huge narcissist in this. And I feel like Jonathan is like only one kind of seeing it, but he's a little blinded by Roy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, I think I don't, I wouldn't say he's blinded by Roy. I would say he's loyal to a fault. Right. He's loyal to Roy uh, for sure. Because Roy is also delusional in this situation. Like, and Roy at this point, career wise, like he's kind of a joke and he's always been a joke even though he was very successful with his vaudeville shows. He wasn't respected, really. He was not respected among his peers. They thought, oh, he puts these schlocky shows that tour uh, in random areas and in the country. And just happen to make money somehow, but they're yeah. not anything to write home about. Yeah, yeah. they're like, this guy is not uh, going to become some revered Hollywood scion. Yeah, 
But Robert Evans has something to prove, too. Because he had that reverence. He yeah. had that reverence. He's on the, like, you know, in a bad place right now because he's coming off of being uh, arrested and convicted for cocaine charges. Yeah. He's got to have a comeback, and he's desperate to get financing for this these three movies he wants to make, starting with the Cotton Club movie. Right. And Roy is the only person who would be willing to give him money. No one wants to give him money. Yeah. Uh, So despite Lainey accusing Roy of collaborating with Tally Rogers to rob her, she came over to visit Roy and Jonathan at the Regency Hotel where they stayed when they were in L.A. She brought over her friend Anna Montenegro. Now, Anna stayed with the guys at the hotel for several days and was very inquisitive about Roy and his life. Jonathan was skeptical of Lainey's friend. Roy, on the other hand, was like, wow, I think Anna has a crush on me. (laughs) Now, is Anna spying for Lainey or she just... She wasn't, but that's what Jonathan thought because Jonathan's like, you know what? Everyone that Lainey touches is fishy to me. Right. He's like, this is a bad situation. Uh, But Anna was like a a nice person, but... um, I and mean, maybe that was her intention at one point right. was to fit fish for information from Roy, but uh, as we'll learn later, wasn't totally the case. Roy, on the other hand, yeah, thought, wow, she likes me. Anna later said of Roy to Anne Louise Bardak, quote, he would do five grams of Coke in a day, then order Chinese food, asking it for everything on the menu, and he'd eat it. What's wrong with that? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. But Roy does seem to be one of those people who can eat on Coke. The dream, right? (laughs) That's crazy. It's five grams of Coke a lot. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to do in a day. Okay. So that's an excessive amount. That's like if you're a cocaine addict, you might do that. Okay. Uh, That's not like people who are just partiers. Right. Uh, They might... I was always shocked when people would be like, oh, we split a gram five ways. But that's like normal people doing Coke. Right. But five grams means you're definitely doing it all day long, probably. Absolutely. I'm just shocked at the people who were able to A, fall asleep, like at the end of the night or even in the wee hours of the morning, and B, eat. You would have laughed me doing when I did cocaine because I would literally take the smallest bump. I was like a Gibson girl. Like it, and a little bag of it would last me like weeks because <laughs> I would do such little amounts. And sometimes my friends who did way more right. would take some of mine and it would just be like falling everywhere and like going everywhere. And I was like, that's like a week's worth. I mean, it was literally the smallest amount of cocaine. It was like $50 would last me weeks. Like oh it was God. so small. Yeah. I mean, I'm just not addicted to it. I liked a little bit when I felt like I was, you know, getting tired uh, it was not like a full-time job for me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Me, me and Roy Raiden, this was a full-time job. Yeah. For sure. I mean, it seems like it. But when the final business agreement between Evans and Raiden was drawn up, Lainey was outwardly furious again. Lainey, of course, would receive zero stake in the evans Raiden production company. Jonathan was certain that Anna, Anna Montenegro had told Lainey about this agreement. Now, Lainey could have learned this information from Evans himself as they had, they were fucking. Oh. So who knows? I mean, like I said in last week's episode, 
uh, Anna Montenegro was of the opinion that anyone that Lainey hung out with, she fucked. Right. But I don't think she fucked Roy. No. Lainey rang the hotel constantly, and Roy dodged her calls. When she would drop by, Jonathan would tell her that Roy wasn't there. So they're like, we got to just get her away, like take her money and And run. just keep pushing her away. Yes. Eventually, Roy answered her call and told her that no, she would not have any part in their company, but he would pay her a finder's fee. Lainey demanded $50,000, for which she insisted be paid immediately. Furthering Lainey's ire towards Roy was when he next accused her of selling him bad coke. Ooh. He was getting nosebleeds. And she's like, well, maybe you're doing it too fucking much. That's yeah. why you have nosebleeds. Like, no, this is bad coke. And she was very offended by that. Can she you did... get nosebleeds from bad coke? If there's a lot of speed in it. Okay. So it's... it is possible. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, speed, you know when you're snorting meth because it's very sharp. I see. Uh, <laughs> it's a sharp feeling. <laughs> Okay. You know. No, I don't Look, know. Look, I liked, I li- uh, personally, I had no problem with snorting meth. I liked meth. Uh, that's neither here nor there. But uh, this was, you know, now they're just taking jabs at each other. Right. When, uh, so then uh, Roy had put a stop on a check oh. that Jonathan had given her for $4,000 because okay. he was writing her checks for okay. Coke. Lainey found out that the check was canceled and she called even more furious, demanding to know what the hell was going on. Roy told her, listen, honey, bad Coke, bad check. Ooh. Lainey had to have this money that Roy owed her. Yeah. For the $4,000 worth of Coke. Like we said before, she was already out a million dollars. I like writing a check for cocaine. (laughs) What do you even say on that? Memo. Memo. <laughs> Cocaine. <laughs> that is crazy. Uh, so she was already out a million dollars worth of Coke and cash at the hands of Tally Rogers. And that put her in a danger, dangerous situation. Yeah. So she was like, I need this $4,000. Right. She uh, had to pay her suppliers. Lainey's boyfriend and business partner, Milan Belichese's, was insistent that she get to the bottom of this. Alarm bells went off again for Jonathan when Roy's apartment in New York was robbed. (gasps) Roy thought he was just being paranoid. When he returned to New York, he learned that a filing cabinet had been attempted to be broken into, but nothing was taken. Despite the massive strain on Roy and Lainey's relationship, Robert Evans and Lainey continued to hang out. They went to New York together and then to Miami. At this time, Evans was having second thoughts about working with Roy Radin, as he had just learned about the incident with Melanie Haller that occurred in 1980. Ooh, right. When I forgot about that. She was attacked and raped at his mansion. Yeah. At the same time, he needed the money badly, and Roy looked like he was going to be able to put up $35 million, which he was getting from the Puerto Rican government. Still he kind of began to seek other avenues for financing. Right. Meanwhile, the Puerto Rican government was really excited about the idea of producing a film with the legendary Robert Evans. Yeah. They believed that this movie would create jobs and establish Puerto Rico as a filmmaking hub. Yeah. 
With Lainey now back in the mix, she wanted Roy's 45% stake in the company and for Roy to fuck off. Laney appeared at a meeting at Robert Evans's New York townhouse that was to be between the Puerto Rican banker, Jose Alegria, and Roy. Roy and Laney got into a screaming match right oh, away. Shit. Evans agreed that Laney should get a share of the company. And Roy was like, what the fuck are you talking mm-hmm. about? And they're like, well, we can uh, you know, give up some of our shares and just give her a little bit. Yeah, uh, just give her a little bit. Like, that seems like she'd be satisfied with something. She wanted to be more than just money yeah. to them. She wanted a to part. have, yeah, yeah, like the status of having this stake in the company. I'm sure, too, for someone who is in the drug business, you're trying to find legitimate income outlets, you know, too. That's exactly part of it, Yeah, is they needed this avenue to launder money Ooh. as well. Yeah. Uh, Roy was adamant that Lainey not get anything. And even Jose Alegria was like, come on, just give her something. That's what I think in these situations. Like, why piss people off? It seems like more hassle than it's worth. But Roy is such a freak. Like, he doesn't care about pissing people off. Oh, not at all. Yeah. He kind of revels in it sometimes. He's like, I'm doing it my way. I'm fucking fabulous. I wear a fedora and a cape. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a very confident person. Yeah, absolutely. Not in a good way always. No. And yeah, Roy was like, fuck that. She gets nothing. This is my company with Evans. Roy encountered Lainey again a week later on May 6th during another meeting at Robert Evans's house. She was there with her lawyers from Miami. Once again, Roy told Lainey to fuck off. Then he made her cry. <gasps> Aww. So everyone felt very bad for Lainey now. I bet you she doesn't cry often. Yeah, and she... <laughs> so it's very powerful. It was a very powerful situation. Everyone, of course, was like, geez, Roy, you made her cry. <laughs> That's so awful. She's like the one woman in the room, and he makes her cry. And now, I mean, if I if she's anything like me, he's, he's in for it. <laughs> if you make me cry, oh, revenge he, will be mine. <laughs> he is in for it. Back at the Mayflower Hotel... Roy told Jonathan that the deal was over. He was done. He told the same to Jose Alegria. Jose was like, come on, I'm sure you can come to an agreement. Roy hated Lainey and refused to work with her. He said that he was willing to quit the production altogether if it meant not having to give a part of his share to Lainey. Oh, like shit. he was just willing to throw the whole thing in the trash. It's so funny because he he was madly in love with Lainey just a short time ago. Oh, <laughs> right, like totally. But ultimately, Roy Radin was going to make this work somehow, some way, because he didn't really want to back out. He was no. desperate to have this. This to him, this opportunity was it. This was his ticket into Hollywood, and there was no other way. He could not walk away from it. But he was unwilling to make any sorts of compromises. He wanted it his exact way. Yeah. Uh, Which is not the best attitude to have working in Hollywood. Because things are not going to go your way. No. Uh, He still believed that he could have power over Lainey Jacobs to get her to back off. But both Jonathan Lawson and Roy's longtime friend, who was a former soldier for the Genovese crime family, <laughs> Johnny Stoppelli, this guy, he urged Roy to back out of the deal. Ooh. He was like, look, being involved with Lainey Jacobs and Milan Belichese's 
is not a good idea. This is bad news. You just need to walk away from this right now and cut your losses. Damn. But Roy protested. They don't, you know, he's like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. But this guy literally did know what he was talking about. It's like his job. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Roy returned to Los Angeles on May 9th. The next day, he got a phone call from Robert Evans. Evans was now offering him $2 million for him to back out of the deal. Jonathan was like, dude, take the money and run. And Roy was not having it. He was like, hell, if he'll pay me $2 million, then he knows he has something good going. They can't make this movie without me. Oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. His pride, he has a lot of pride. Oh, at this point, yeah. Well, I and it's like, I get his feeling. Like, he knows... Like he's getting Robert Evans at like a bargain basement moment. So he'll never have access to what is technically an A-list producer. Even if he's at the rock bottom, he has a huge name still. Right. Uh, so it's like, that's the best he's going to get is like a, you know, broke A-lister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who's like at the bottom. Right. He's not, you don't. it's like better to have that than a D-lister who's, still working successfully almost like do you know what I mean like because people want a name attached to something they want a name and like no matter what this project is going to get some kind of attention because of Robert Evans uh so it is his best opportunity I can understand why he's holding on to it right for sure and Robert Evans was uh you know pitching this idea to Francis Ford Coppola right and and Roy I don't think money drives Roy no and especially in this case, like maybe it did initially and he got to that point, but now he's looking for something outside of money. He wants yeah. fame and respect. Yes. Well, even more than that respect, I, like the respect is the big one, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So Roy, for, you know, this $2 million buyout from Robert was not going to fly. Later that day, Roy's friend Demond Wilson came over to do some coke. Now, Roy spent the day telling DeMond all about his plans to become the next president of Paramount Pictures. If you don't know DeMond Wilson, he was the son in Sanford and Son. DeMond is his name? How do you pronounce it? I thought it was Desmond. It's DeMond. Oh, it's DeMond. Uh, I I was wondering if that was the same guy. Yeah, I love that. I love Sanford and Son. One of my favorite sitcoms. I love DeMond. Sanford and Son. Fred, a Red Fox is the funniest person ever. <laughs> Maybe like he's so funny, and that's such a good sitcom. Like I don't even really like sitcoms, but I like a few from that back in that era. I guess I watched that when I was a kid because it would come on Nick at Night. Yes, and when that theme song came on, best theme song, the best theme song. What's his name on the show? Lamont. I don't remember. I, I, I honestly haven't seen the show in like 20 years. I haven't years. either. My uh, favorite character is Grady, though. Yeah. Love Grady. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great show. Uh, this made me want to like watch old episodes. I did yeah. listen to the theme song this week. Yeah, I haven't seen it in so long, but it was definitely a fave. That night, while Roy was out to dinner with Anna, a man named Michael Scalise phoned the Regency Hotel and spoke to Jonathan. He told Jonathan that Roy needed to back out of the deal. This was a warning. (gasps) To make matters even more complicated, Jose Alegria spoke with Robert Evans and told him that Puerto Rico hoped him and Roy could just settle their differences because the government would prefer that they work together before they forked over this $35 million. 
Oh, I see. They're like, we don't want to change what's already been pitched right. to us. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. Later that week, on a Thursday morning, Lainey called the Regency and spoke to Jonathan. She said that she wanted to set up a dinner meeting with Roy. Roy, who had just woken up from a bender, told Jonathan, she wants this deal as badly as Evan does. This could be good. Honest to God, this could be good. But I'm not meeting that bitch tonight. Damon's coming over, and I want to have dinner with him. Let's make it for tomorrow. (laughs) By the time Damon and Roy had hung out and done some coke, Roy invited Damon to come over to the meeting the next night. He's like, why don't you come to this business meeting? And Devon was like, yeah, we should go to La Scala. <laughs> like, Devon's like, let me get another free meal. 
He was. He, he literally <laughs> he literally said, if you're taking me out to dinner, let's go someplace classy. <laughs> Love it. Uh, by the way, La Scala, very famous restaurant in Beverly Hills. Yeah. They're very famous for their chopped salad. Is that still open? Dude, La Scala was having like secret like That's dinners. That's right. They were having the secret dinners over the pandemic. Yes. They sent out that like email, right? <laughs> they got in big trouble. That was funny. <laughs> that night, Anna came over to the Regency and begged Roy not to meet up with Lainey for dinner. She had been at the house earlier and said that Lainey had some bad men with her. <gasps> Roy was like, no, I have to go to this business meeting. Neither Jonathan nor Anna could convince Roy otherwise. They both were like, you shouldn't go. Yeah. You need to cancel this. But he was going, goddammit. But by this point, Roy was finally feeling a little bit nervous. Okay. Like for the first time, he's getting a little... A little butterflies. (laughs) Yeah. Like for the first time, he feels like maybe I'm not totally in control of this situation. Yes. Or there's people after me. Yes. Meanwhile, Jonathan has been like alarm bells yeah. for a very long time now. But he, he stifled those concerns. Of course. Yeah. Plus, he was doing a lot of cocaine, and that makes you very brave. Yeah. So he wasn't terrified like Jonathan was, but he was a little nervous. As a precaution, he arranged for DeMond Wilson to wait outside the Regency Hotel in his car with a gun before Lainey Jacobs picked him up in a limo. (laughs) Then DeMond would follow them to the restaurant. Then their plan was to pretend that DeMond just happened to be at La Scala, and then they would invite him over to eat. I love that DeMond is going to go along with this. (laughs) Like, he's a sitcom actor. (laughs) I'm sorry. Right. He's a sitcom actor. He should know that this is going to go horribly wrong. It's not going to be hijinks. (laughs) (laughs) So, DeMond also had some screenplays that he wanted to pitch. I see. At this meeting. He's like, well, this is a good opportunity for me. I can kill you birds with one stone. I can help Roy. This is so Hollywood. Like, well, I could also pitch my screenplays. (laughs) Any opportunity. (laughs) Roy thought... After dinner, he would leave with DeMond. After relaying this plan to Jonathan, Roy stress-snorted a bunch of coke for the rest of the day. Roy had no idea about the sinister plot that was unfolding that same day. It was Friday, May 13th, and Lainey's hired goon, Bill Menser, phoned a limo service at a place called Lay Express in uh, in Bel Air. He wanted to rent a limo, but did not want to rent a driver. Now, this was an unusual ask, because when you rent a limo, yeah. a driver comes with it. Right. They don't just let you like drive a limo around. I mean, it seems like you'd have to know how to drive a limo, right? <laughs> They're really long. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't parallel park this thing. <laughs> I feel like, do people still do stretch limos? I don't even know, like... I don't. I wouldn't even know where or how to do that, or why would I ever even want to do that. But you know, when you're like a kid, and like the most fancy thing is a stretch limo. Yes, that's like the height of class when yeah. you're a kid. I don't even think they do that at like award shows anymore. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Do people like? I think people just arrive in town cars. I think it's like for proms or something. Like that's the only time I see people still doing. But they them. used to do stretch limos. At like Hollywood events and yeah, stuff? Yeah, didn't they? 
I honestly, I mean, I, that's my memory, but I don't know if it's like something I like have created in my mind. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea. Like, but I feel like people, yeah, get it. Weren't like Angelina and Billy Bob like making out in the back in of a limo. limo. Yeah. But, but sometimes uh, like Brendan has gotten picked up in what he's called limos before, but it's really a town car. Oh. So they're not stretch. It's not a stretch limo, but there is, there is something that's classified as a limo. Yeah. But it's just not a stretch limo. Because when I hear the word limo, I think of like the long ass I do too. I don't thing. think of anything else. But I guess limos can just be considered a town car as well. Right. But yeah, I think of stretch limo for sure. With the little partition. I went to see, I went to Giant Stadium in a stretch limo to what? see Depeche Mode. Wait, <laughs> Desi, when? I don't know, like the 90s. <laughs> so funny because <laughs> I was like a you know young it was like ooh let's uh, let's get a limo that's like the only thing I can think of and that was the only time I've ever been in one because I don't even fucking care about limos like no it's like who cares that's something but I think that's something like teenagers it's like a prom thing yeah I don't I don't know that it's at some point I think it also became not rich it's gauche yeah it's gauche so maybe that's uh, another and, thing and then there was like the people who would get stretch hummers oh yeah that was a thing those are so i think ugly. other cars became more because i'm sure like at some point it was even like i took a prius to the oscars <laughs> do you know what i mean like oh yeah being environmental became more of the sort of thing people wanted to look like they were taking an electric car oh yeah to I, I took a ride share to yeah, the oscars exactly i took a fucking lift <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, if me we, too. If we, <laughs> when we get nominated. If Brendan ever gets invited to the Oscars again, right. we're going to take a lift. We're going to take a, um, we'll take a lift, but like the lift share. Yeah. We're going to take the pool. <laughs> the we're going to do the lift pool. Okay. <laughs> we're just part of the people. That's right. We're just going, just happen to be going to the Oscars. So Bill Menser, he's rented this limo. Without the driver. Again, highly unusual. Then he gathered his fellow goons and met back at his apartment in the valley to discuss their plans for that evening. At Bill's apartment was the Nazi bodyguard guy, 23-year-old Alex Marty. There was a guy there named Carl Plazak. There was a younger guy named Roger Corbin, and a guy named Bob Lowe. <laughs> sorry, no why. relation to Rob Lowe. <laughs> Bob Lowe. This is budget Rob Lowe. He's, He's Bob. got a pot belly and a receding hairline. That's going to suck because this is 83. Rob is like, did, was he in The Outsiders? I mean, he must have just been. He was just. Was he in The Outsiders? I don't think he was in The okay, Outsiders. Okay, but he was like just becoming a star. He was then. in like St. Elmo's Fire or something. That, yeah, and I think that was a little later, but... I, I don't remember what his early movies were. He was might he like been, a teen? I need to look this up. Hold okay. on, we'll be right back. I was right. Rob Lowe played Soda Pop Curtis <laughs> in Francis Ford Coppola's The Outsiders in 1983. So Rob Lowe was breaking out. And Bob Lowe... <laughs> Bob Lowe is hanging out with the dregs of society in the valley. Probably uh, not hot. No. Oh, to be Bob Lowe. It's, uh, it's funny how Bob is not hot, but Rob could be hot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. 
So they're all meeting in the valley to discuss what they're going to do. And Bob Lowe was going to play the part of the limo chauffeur. Okay. They were going to kidnap and murder Roy Raiden. Ooh. Bill Menser handed the men their payment for the job, $500 cash each. Bill's payment had already been made by Laney, and that was a $4,000 shopping spree. <laughs> Do you think he got the better deal? Uh, no. You'd rather have 500 cash? Oh, wait, 500 cash? No, I want the shopping spree. Me too. I'm sorry, I thought you said 5,000. No. I was, like, I was like, why would you take a shopping spree over cash? <laughs> that night, just after 8 p.m., DeMond and his secretary, Amelia, sat parked half a block away from the Regency Hotel in Hollywood with their sights on the front entrance of the hotel. So oh. they were like in... Within sight of it. They're staking out the place. I can't believe this plan. (laughs) Dude, it's about to get worse. Okay. Lainey arrived in a black Cadillac limo 40 minutes later and went inside the hotel to meet Roy. Inside Roy and Jonathan's hotel room, Roy was just finishing getting ready. He snorted a line of Coke in his bedroom. Jonathan asked if he could drive them to dinner at La Scala, but Lainey said no. She had rented a limo. Lainey then asked Jonathan if he actually could go pick up some Coke that she had in her car, which was parked over at her apartment in Beverly Hills, because she had an apartment in Beverly Hills and a house in Sherman Oaks. Jonathan was like, no, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm staying right here. Jonathan's instincts were right. As two of Lainey's goons, Plazak and Corbin, were waiting for him outside of (gasps) Lainey's apartment. Roy and Lainey departed the hotel, and Bob Lowe was waiting for them out front, dressed as the chauffeur. (laughs) I'm sorry. I can't get over Bob Lowe. (laughs) I need to find a picture of him. Yeah. uh, To post. DeMond, who was watching the whole time, started to pull his car out to follow the limo, but he got partially blocked in and had to do sort of a three-pointer. <laughs> what is this, like, Beverly Hills cop? <laughs> With he... the bananas in the tailpipe? <laughs> Dude, it was, like, the worst fucking thing to happen. Like, he thought he was going to do a smooth pullout. And... Also, this has happened in so many movies where they get blocked by, like, a delivery <laughs> truck. What happened? He got blocked by another car. Oh my god! So he, it took him way longer than anticipated to pull out. Oh my god! And as a result, another car pulled in front of him. Oh my god! And got behind the limo, and so he's like looking, right, uh, trying to see where they're going, trying to see where they're going, and more cars, of course, keep passing him and going in front of him. There's like eight cars in front of him at this point. Oh. God. And he's trying to speed up to, yeah. to catch this limo, to follow it to the restaurant. I can see this scene so clearly because I've seen it in movies a million times. <laughs> They're like slamming their fist on the, the dashboard. <laughs> Poor Damond. He's like, I'm not, I'm an actor. <laughs> right. Eventually he lost sight of the car. Uh, so he decided, okay, well, I'm just going to continue on to La Scala in Beverly Hills. Okay. Not the plan, but he's like... That's where they're going. He's like assuming, okay, I'm the next best thing I can do. It is the best thing he can do, to be honest. At that point, yes. Meanwhile, the limo carrying Roy and Lainey pulled over and Lainey got out. Bill Menser and Alex Marty got inside the limo (gasps) with Roy. 
Oh, shit. The limo was headed north on the 5 freeway to a canyon 65 miles away from L.A. near the small town of Gorman. Nearly three hours after Roy and Laney's departure from the Regency Hotel, Jonathan called La Scala to make sure that they had all made it there. The host said no, neither him nor his party had shown up. Jonathan then asked if Demond Wilson was there, and he was. And Jonathan's like, I need to talk to him right now. DeMond I like Demond's just eating dinner. <laughs> By himself. I'll get the spaghetti carbonara. <laughs> Jonathan was like, why the fuck didn't you call me? Why have you been at La Scala for two and a half hours oh and they haven't showed up? What have you even been doing there? And Damon's like, I'm sorry. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know. How would he know? Um, but I do think that is absurd that he waited at this restaurant for two and a half hours yeah, without I mean, calling anyone. Um, I wonder if he did eat, though. I would hope he did. You gotta. They probably would have kicked him if out you if he didn't wouldn't be order. there for that long without eating, would you? He was probably like, well, I might as well. Yeah, I'm sitting here doing nothing. I'm sure they'll be here in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) And Jonathan was like, where the fuck is Roy? And Damon's like, I have no idea. I've been at La Scala. And would Damon have, I mean, but that wasn't in in the plan to call him if something happened, right? I mean. No, I think Jonathan was just like common sense. Right, right. What have you been doing sitting on your ass? Clearly, we made this plan for a reason. Panicking, Jonathan called Anna Montenegro, but he couldn't get a hold of her. He then called Laney's house in Sherman Oaks, but no one picked up. He didn't know that earlier that evening, Laney had arranged for her nanny, Miriam, and her son, Dax, to get on a plane to Miami. Ooh. So Jonathan was like, why isn't the housekeeper, yeah. the nanny, even picking up? By this time, Laney was in Westwood with her friend, Saul Becherot, at his house. Jonathan finally got a hold of Anna Montenegro, who rushed over to the Regency. She was super freaked out when the situation was explained to her. They called Lainey again, and Lainey ended up calling back. Jonathan demanded to know where Roy was. She said that on the way to the restaurant, they got into a fight, and she demanded to be let out of the car. She said that they um, dropped him off on Sunset near Tower Records. Jonathan wasn't buying it. Lainey then changed her story again, saying that the limo actually dropped her off in Westwood and Roy was still in the car. Hmm. The next day, on Saturday the 14th, Lainey and her hired goons took a private jet out of L.A. and flew to Miami. From there, the goons would resume their search for Tally Rogers, who was still at large, but they had information that he might be in St. Thomas. They initially planned to have Bob Lowe fly out to the island with a woman so they could pose as tourists while they looked for Tally Rogers, but Bob couldn't find a woman who wanted to go to St. Thomas with him. So we know he was not hot. (laughs) Rob, however, could find numerous women who would go to St. Thomas with him. Oh, God. (laughs) Jonathan and Anna went to the cops in West Hollywood and told them that their friend was missing. But the cops told them that they weren't, they couldn't do anything until 72 hours had passed. And they're like, no, you don't understand. Our friend, we think he's been kidnapped. Yeah. They're like, gotta wait 72 hours. 
I wonder why that role exists. It seems so infuriating. <laughs> like, haven't it, hasn't it fucked up enough times that we alter it in some way, especially if they're involved with like drug dealers or something like, yeah, CD, like something where it's dangerous, possibly. Right. Cause it's we crazy. Always, I mean, you, if you listen to a lot of true crime podcasts or you read a lot of true crime, that's like a trope. Right. You always, you can't hear. report someone missing until it's too late to collect evidence. Right. <laughs> Jonathan had to take matters into his own hands, so he hired private detective John O'Grady. O'Grady was known as Hollywood's number one private eye. By this time, Roy's friends and family in New York were aware of the situation. Roy's mother, Renee, hired a psychic to aid in the search. O'Grady, the PI, called Robert Evans at his house in Beverly Hills. He asked him why Lainey Jacobs had called him at 3 a.m. on the night of Roy's disappearance. Evans was like, I don't know. She just did. <laughs> John. <laughs> now, Robert Evans genuinely did not know. He, like, I don't think he knew. I think. Oh, of course. Lainey yeah. was trying to create an alibi. Right. She had said to one of her goons that she would be making phone calls to kind of establish to establish yeah. that she was in a specific location. Jonathan got a hold of Lainey again that Monday, but she denied knowing where Roy was. This was bad. Mickey DeVinco uh, and a former cop from Cleveland who was friends with Roy both flew out to Los Angeles to stay with Jonathan at the Regency to try and help him. They went through Roy's papers and documents and handed them over to O'Grady. By the 21st of May, the newspapers reported on Roy Radin's disappearance. Following the reports in the paper, one of Laney's lawyers flew in from Miami to confront O'Grady at his office. He said that his client would not be speaking to the police and that she had gotten out of the car before Roy did. So she's like, I don't know where he is. Right. But O'Grady pushed back, saying that Laney had originally told Jonathan uh, that Roy had gotten out at Tower Records before Lainey. So obviously she was lying about something. Why'd she tell him two different things? Yeah. Around this time, Mark Fogel, who if you don't remember, is the guy who owned the luxury car dealership that Lainey rented from, he was freaking out that the limo that was returned was suspiciously cleaned. Oh. And also, not only was it suspiciously clean, but the seats had been replaced. So super suspicious. <laughs> That's too clean. Yeah. Oh, uh, so if you don't remember, Mark Fogel was busted selling drugs to a CI in 1980, and he was now working with the cops, reluctantly. Oh, okay. So he hit up the detective he was working with, Fred McKnight, and he told him he thought this guy, Roy Radin, had been murdered. The cops at the department had only been investigating a missing persons case at this point, but Mark insisted, no, this is a murder case. It wasn't until June 10th that a grim discovery was made 65 miles north of Los Angeles in a canyon near that small town in Gorman. Glenn Fisher, he owned a company called Fisher Apiaries. He was a beekeeper, and he was in the area looking for a place to drop off his hives, it was a sweltering day already when Glenn pulled into the site with the park ranger named Lynn. The first thing he noticed upon stepping out of the car was a pile of shell casings. The ranger told him it was probably from people who came there for target practice. But 
As he walked further, he smelled something disgusting. That's when he noticed a hand sticking out from behind a bush. When he got closer, he found the badly decomposed body of Roy Radin. Roy, who was still dressed in the same blue three-piece suit that he had when he left the Regency Hotel nearly a month earlier, was barely recognizable. Half of his face had been blown off. Shit. And he was badly decomposed. I mean, yeah, hot month. For a month. Yeah. This is in a canyon in Southern California. May and June. Yeah. It's not a good sight. Mm -mm. Glenn, who was horrified, immediately contacted the police. And by that afternoon, cops from the sheriff's department, as well as two Los Angeles homicide detectives, were there. Several feet away from the body, detectives discovered a jawbone with teeth still attached. It was as if a bomb had gone off in his mouth. And that's exactly what did happen. There were indications of a struggle. Multiple bullets from a 22 caliber caliber pistol had been fired into Roy Radin. The cause of death was determined to be a gunshot wound to the head. But after he was dead, the killers stuck dynamite in his mouth in an attempt to obscure his identity. Oh, shit. They, they wanted to like blow him apart. Right. But it clearly wasn't enough, as police were able to definitively identify him through dental records. Oof, that's gruesome. Yeah. Roy was buried in Southampton, and his longtime friend, Red Buttons, who was a comic, he... <laughs> Sorry. Do you know Red Buttons? I do know him. <laughs> well, but that's gave, just... <laughs> I know. He gave the eulogy. That's crazy. I know. After the discovery of the body, Lainey was furious. Roy was not supposed to be discovered. <gasps> this was supposed to forever be, he's missing. Yeah. She had instructed her guys, you dispose of that body so there's no evidence. And they're like, oh, stick some dynamite in his mouth. Ugh, well, that's what you get when you pay people $500 each, to be honest. You that really, seems really low. You really get what you pay for. Also, her plan to me is dumb to begin with because I wouldn't even involve myself with the missing person that night (laughs) where I had to be like, I got out of the car. Like, why would you even involve yourself in anything they were doing that night is crazy to me. Like, I'm really unsure of her logic here if she thought she wanted to make it seem maybe like they were on better terms, like they were having a meeting together, but it still seems so dumb to me. Well, because the people who are last seen with them are always sort of a part of the investigation in a major way. No matter up what. Top. Uh, and I guess, I guess if she thought he'd never be found, it wouldn't matter, but it still seems like a crazy uh, plan to me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a really interesting choice that she made there. So Lainey panicked. She left L.A. and spent the rest of the summer in Palm Springs with Bill Menser, who she was also fucking. Yeah. Robert Evans stopped answering her calls. By this time, Evans was in fear of his own life. When Lainey and Bill left the house they rented, the owner made a startling discovery. (gasps) Lainey had left behind her answering machine. Out of curiosity, the homeowner was like... (laughs) Wait, how do you have your answering machine with you? <laughs> Wait, she took it or she brought it to Palm Springs? Yeah. That's crazy. She brought her, I mean, they were renting this house. So they rented a house. She brought her answering machine and then she forgot it when they yes. left. And the homeowner was like, okay, let's listen to their messages. <laughs> Look, to be fair, it would be very hard 
not to press that button, especially when two total weirdos have been staying at your house. Yeah, I guess if they were weirdos, then maybe I'd be curious. You'd be a little curious. I honestly don't know if I would play their answering machine because I don't think it would be that interesting. Like, what are the chances it'd be anything juicy? Well, it was something juicy. I bet you it was. There was a very threatening voicemail on that answering machine. It said, I know you're there. You're hanging up on me. I know you're there because my people saw you arriving at the airport. Daddy will have to send to you and you're not going to like it. Daddy? (laughs) Who's daddy? (laughs) That's such a sinister, hot message. (laughs) I like that that's what he played and that was the first one. And then you got to listen to all of them for sure. If that's the first one you hear. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. If you... you, Because if most of the, if the first set of messages are just like, hi, honey, yeah. then you feel like an asshole. And you're like, oh. I'm going to delete these. If you hear something juicy up top, then you're sitting down, you're getting some snacks. <laughs> you're getting a cork board with string. Yeah. And you're trying to put the pieces together Absolutely. yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. So I figured that would be a great place to stop. <gasps> yeah. Next week. <sighs> This is a story that never ends. But do you see how there's so much stuff I can't leave out? Yeah. Because next week we got a doozy of a finale. We are going to end this. This will be over next week. We're going to talk the arrests and trial. We're going to talk the Son of Sam conspiracies and the aftermath. And the making of the movie, right? Yeah, and a little bit of the making of the movie. Yeah. So, uh, I've never seen the movie. Have you? No. Is it with Richard Gere? Yeah. Uh, no, because I think it's famously a bad movie, right? It's famously a terrible movie. Yeah, I have not seen it. I have no uh, interest in seeing of, it. But um, I kind of, I know a little bit about what it is. But yeah, it yeah. bombed. Did Coppola direct it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, cool. So, look forward to that next week. We will. We'll see you on Friday. Time for the after show. Time for the after show now. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.